You're listening to the Grace Sermon Podcast with messages from Pastor Chris Twightman and the community at Grace Lutheran Church, Huntington Beach. We're a family church that exists to engage life together and impact our neighborhoods as disciples of Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org. Now, stay tuned for today's message. Something that I I was thinking about today, actually I was thinking about the last couple of weeks, not speaking, I'm not making a personal confession here, but something happens when you get older for many of us. Gradually, as we get older, we lose the wonder of Christmas, you know? Even with our particular traditions that we look forward to, somewhere along the way, as you get older, each Christmas season starts to feel just like more of the same, you know? Same decorations in the shops, same Black Friday deals, same Christmas movies, Same carols playing on the radio, same routine of parties and gift exchanges, same Christmas Eve service at the church, same pastor giving the same message. (laughs) Hopefully not. (laughs) Somewhere along the way, we can lose the wonder of Christmas. It can all become just sort of rote, you know, peace, love, joy, yeah, holly, jolly, ho, 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 yada, 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 Merry Christmas. How easily we can forget the heart of what we are celebrating, what we just heard, is a birth announcement. The good news that a child has been born, a healthy baby boy named Jesus, born in Bethlehem to Mary and Joseph. And let's be honest, there are few things in life more joyous than the birth of a child, a baby. 10 little fingers, 10 little toes, little giggles and squirms, maybe even the crying, right? And then, come on, that soft, sweet smell when you hold that newborn baby close. We gather together tonight, today, because of a birth announcement. A birth announcement, though, that's more than 2,000 years old. Why? Why do we still gather for this birth announcement? I mean, no one else's birthday has had this kind of longevity in terms of celebrating. What makes this birth so special? Well, to begin with, if you were paying attention, the announcement of this child's birth is unlike any other birth announcement we have ever received before. And that's saying something, because in our day and age of social media and video calling platforms, whenever a friend or family member wants to share their excitement about the birth of their son or daughter or grandchild or niece or nephew, they can make sure everyone receives the news. And yet, despite all the potential of Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, there's still only one birth announcement that has been delivered by way of angelic messengers, filling up the silence of the night sky with a chorus of praise. And unlike other birth announcements, reactions to this one varied in the extreme. I mean, dutiful shepherds walked off the job, leaving their flocks behind as they searched for this newly born babe lying in a manger. And when they found this child, for themselves, they didn't just go back to work. These shepherds, who normally didn't socialize much, excitedly shared this birth announcement with every living soul they met. We didn't hear it today, but we know a little bit more about this story, that thanks to some celestial punctuation in the form of an unusually bright star in the sky, this birth announcement extended beyond the little town of Bethlehem all the way to the Far East. Catching the attention of some magi, these men of science employed their study of the heavens 
in order to journey and find this child. And when they arrived, these wise men showered this one named Jesus with precious, priceless gifts and bowed before him as royalty. This birth announcement, if you know this story though, was not universally well received. The local monarch of the region, one King Herod, was so driven mad with jealousy at hearing the news of the coming of this child. In a fearful rage, he murderously lashes out against a whole generation of recently born children in order to protect his throne. With reactions like these, how can we not wonder, as the famous carol of the season prompts us, what child is this? And thankfully, we're not left like Mary to ponder this question in our hearts. The answer beyond the announcement is to be found here, in this book, the Bible, in the pages of what is known as the New Testament, which in many ways, the New Testament is an extended reflection on the birth announcement of this child and its implications. More specifically, we're turning to a letter written long ago to a community that was wrestling with this very question, this question of who Jesus is, who this child has grown up to become for all the world. If you have those Bibles open, you can listen and read along to Hebrews chapter 2 as it reads, In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And again, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now I realize we're entering into the middle of a conversation here. So we might miss something as we're hearing this, we're reading it, something very important that the writer of this letter wants us to understand about who Jesus is. From the very start of this letter, what we didn't read, what came before, the writer declares that the one who was born in Bethlehem, the one we've come to know as Jesus, was no ordinary human being, and much more than an angel, much more than just some heavenly creature. For the writer of this letter, the starting point of understanding this birth announcement, of appreciating what child this is, is to recognize Jesus is God our creator, embodied in flesh and bone. And if you were listening carefully, you can hear the writer of this letter operating out of this conviction when he talked about Jesus sharing in our humanity or being made like us, fully human in every way. And we have a name for this mind-blowing assertion in the church. You may have heard it before. We call it the incarnation. That's a big word that literally means 
a clothing, or a state of being clothed with flesh. To incarnate something means to put something in fleshly form. It means to give form and substance to an insubstantial quality. For example, an extraordinarily sympathetic person may be called the very incarnation of compassion. Their actions give substance to the quality. Such a person embodies what kindness looks like in the flesh, in practice. So to speak then of the incarnation is to understand our creator is not distant or remote. We do not encounter a God who is content to create everything, leave us the instructions, and then peace out of our lives. Christmas is the beginning of an incredible revelation that we worship a God who isn't just satisfied to tell us he loves us with words, but who actually dares to make his word become flesh, to show us the depth of his love in person by stepping out of eternity into time and entering into his creation to become one of us. The reason we keep celebrating this one particular birthday year after year after year is because Christmas is the day, not that Santa Claus came to town, but that God came down to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. Far more than the sanitized picture we put on Christmas cards, the nativity story reflects a God who does not ignore the darkness of this world, but fully enters in. Born to an unmarried couple, in the muck and straw of a stable, not a palace, and then then almost immediately being hunted for his life, becoming a fugitive, God in Christ comes into the real world, not away in a manger, but right here in the messiness of life as we know it. God in Christ came down to earth, as the writer of this letter exclaims, as our kin, as our brother in arms, humbly sharing in our humanity with all of its vulnerability, entering into all of the difficulties, the temptations, the hungers, the burdens, the storms, the pain of our existence. And that is something. But this birth announcement is more than just companionship of God being with us in Christ. Christmas, this birth announcement, also is a declaration that God came down to earth in Christ to accomplish something for us. And we catch glimpses of the writer of this letter pointing to this aspect of who Jesus is, God for us, as he describes Christ through a collage of images, as our pioneer, the one who brings us as sons and daughters into glory, as our liberator, as the one who breaks the fear of death that imprisons us, as our high priest, as the one who makes amends for us, who cleans up our mess. And that's a lot. And in order to appreciate these distinctive but related lenses for seeing who Jesus is, we need to step back and understand the larger story we are all a part of. We all, all of us here, I don't think there's a person in this room who would, who would challenge this. We all seek and search for the best, the ultimate life for ourselves. We all want the good life, right? But on our own, the more we think we have it, the more we realize we don't. The more we perceive there is so much more beyond our grasp that we cannot buy or achieve life that we cannot orchestrate or build on our own. Confronting this reality, some of us settle for a cheap imitation of the good life, 
amassing what we can and consuming what we have, working hard during the week so we can party through the weekend, telling ourselves through our Monday morning hangover in whatever form it takes as we sober up to rinse and repeat our weekly ritual, our weekend getaway, that this is as good as it gets. And yet deep down, no matter how much we try to deny it, no matter how much we gain or spend, we know there's more life to be had. We perceive a gap, a disconnect between the way things are and the way things are supposed to be. And the reason for this disconnect is because a long, long time ago, we were given life by our creator. We were given this world as our home. We were given to each other to be a family. And we decided to go our own way. We decided to do it our way. We decided to live first for ourselves. And human history has proven that this willful decision has not been an isolated one. Because every utterance of personal autonomy and self-rule is but a continued echo of humanity's decision to tell our creator to get lost. Anytime we live for ourselves at the expense of others, anytime we seek to be self-righteous and self-justifying rather than solely dependent upon our creator, we are contributing to the disconnect between the way things are supposed to be and the way things are. This disposition has a name that's fallen out of fashion, and that name is sin. Call it what you want, but the problem of sin comes down to this. Despite all the self-help propaganda, we can't be the masters of our own destinies. We can't make our lives whatever we want them to be. We can't all be gods unto ourselves. Why? Because we're not alone. Because in our quest for self-fulfillment and total autonomy, we bump up against the billions of other people who are also living with us as a part of this world. When everyone tries to live for themselves to be their own God, we all fall short of our personal goals. We all fall victim to the competing interests of each person's self-deification. And as we blame everything that's wrong in this world on them, we fail to notice they are blaming everything with, that's wrong with this world on us. Chaos, pain, suffering ensue, and there's enough blood to go around on everyone's hands. We all hurt each other. We all hurt ourselves. No one is immune. No one is immune from the biggest consequence of sin, which is death. Death is the grand manifestation of that gap between the way things are and the way things are supposed to be. Death is the result of human sin. It is the inevitable consequence of all that is wrong in this world and in us. And with all our modern thinking and civilization, with all our advanced science and technology, death remains alive and well today. Its grim shadow looms large over everything, everything we want to hold on to in the present, everything we hope to experience in the future. Death in all its forms, not just our inevitable physical end, but with every single fatality that we are liable to fall victim to emotionally, mentally, spiritually, relationally. Death in all its forms enslaves us to fear. 
Oh, we act like we're not afraid. We talk in romantic and sentimental terms about death, saying it's a beautiful part of the circle of life. We try to act unconcerned and indifferent about death, poking fun at it with our macabre humor as we laugh about how one day we'll be pushing up daisies. But if death is our friend, then why does our heart sink when our life expectancy suddenly gets expressed in years, in months, in days? If death is nothing more than a big joke, then why do we have all the tears that fall at funerals? Why aren't we laughing? If death is no big deal, then why don't we like to talk about it? Why do we avoid dealing with it? No, death is no friend. Death is no joke. Death is the grand disruption, the cruelest violation of all that is good in our lives. Dread it, run from it, death arrives all the same. It doesn't play favorites. It cannot be cheated. Death comes for us all. That's a lot. But what we celebrate tonight, what we celebrate tonight is the birth announcement that eclipses our death sentence. Death may have entered the world through our disobedience, but now God has come down into this world in Christ, down into the way things are in order to show us, to lead us into the way things are supposed to be. The way things are supposed to be, the world we, world we long to live in is the world we sing about at Christmas time. A life marked by peace on earth and mercy mild. A life filled with tidings of comfort and joy. A life lived in perfect communion and complete harmony with each other and with the ultimate, the essence of glory, which is our creator, our God. As our pioneer, Jesus reveals the best life for which we long. He reveals it by embodying it. He embodies the best life for which we all long through what he says, through what he teaches, and through everything he does. When we fall short, we have this habit of saying something like, well, we're only human. But through the perfectly lived life of Jesus Christ, the embodiment of our humanity at its intended best, it becomes clear we've got it all wrong. Until God comes down in Christ, until we see Jesus, we don't have a clue as to what the true dignity and potential of our humanity realized looks like. But Jesus grows up not only to open our eyes to see the kind of life we're truly meant to live, Jesus grows up to make it possible for us to get where we want to be, to become who we were meant to be. And every time we cry out, it's not fair, that's not right, that's unjust, who's going to clean that up? We acknowledge that evil, sin, and death cost something, that somebody's got to pay the price, that if it's broken, it's got to be fixed. That if it's wrong, it's got to be made right. The way things are supposed to be means there's an answer for all the whys on this side of the way things are. And so Jesus comes, offering us more than a perfect example of the way things are supposed to be. The God who comes down into this world as a child becomes Jesus, our high priest, who will allow himself to be lifted up on the cross to offer us his life, his life for ours. Jesus underwrites everything. 
pays the price, covers the cost, bears every stain, every curse, every lie, every hurt, every failure of ours that ever was or will be. He bears it upon himself in order to set things right again. And his innocence fills the gap of our guilt. His forgiveness wipes clean the mark of our shame. His unconditional love proves to be unconquerable. Death will take Jesus. Jesus is the one who is born to die. Death will take Jesus, but the grave will not be able to keep him. And so the birth announcement of Christmas becomes but a precursor to the Easter announcement of rebirth, of resurrection, of our new life in Christ. Beloved, I don't know why you're here tonight, today. Some of you I see all the time. Some of you I've never seen before. I don't know why you're here. But what I want you to hear is the invitation for us today is not for us to find God. I am not telling you tonight to find God, to move forward towards Jesus. The invitation for you tonight, for all of us, is to realize that God is on the move. God has stepped forward. God has come down to earth to find you, to find each one of us, and to lead us as sons and daughters to glory. God doesn't wait for us to be ready for his coming. And that may not, might unsettle some of us, right? That God doesn't wait until we're ready because we're not ready for God right now. But we should also realize if that unsettles us, that that's also extremely comforting too because if God waited to come until we were ready, then God would never come at all. God in Christ comes anyway. Even when we don't think it makes any sense, even when we doubt, God in Christ comes anyway. God in Christ comes anyway, even if we're busy, even if we're too busy, even if we think we aren't ready. No, God in Christ comes now, ready or not. Through the birth of this child named Jesus, God comes and finds us right where we are. But through the life of this same Jesus, through his death and resurrection, God refuses to leave us as we are. Tonight, Christmas Bay may be nothing more than a word for you, a designation, a label, a name for a season of time, a brief stretch of the year when we choose to believe that love actually is all around, when we choose to believe that peace on earth is something worth singing about, when we choose to believe that joy is possible and there is maybe hope for the future. But tonight, with this birth announcement, Christmas becomes more than just a passing season of good thoughts. Christmas becomes more than just a name for a time when we choose to believe in love, in hope, and maybe to seek peace. With this birth announcement, Christmas becomes a word made flesh, love incarnated, peace embodied, hope personified, not because we believe it, but all thanks to the God who believes in us. All thanks to the God who believes in us, even when we don't believe in ourselves, even when we don't believe in each other, even when we don't believe in him. This God believes in us so much that he comes down to earth anyway to show us who we truly are, to show us who we truly can become by making a way for us to live beyond our faults and our failures, beyond our fears and our regrets, beyond even the sting of death itself. The truth is, the reason we keep celebrating Christmas, the reason we keep making this birth announcement is so that it would become ours, the announcement of our rebirth, 
from living the life we so often settle for to embracing the life of God that seeks to be born in us. A life that leads us to places we never expected we might go. A life that will grow and flourish us in ways we couldn't even imagine or hope for. A life that will endure from everlasting to everlasting. You don't have to find God because God's come down to earth to find you. May God bless each of us and all that we love this Christmas Eve and may the glory of heaven fill our souls today and the presence of God be made flesh in us. Come to us, Lord Jesus. Come into our lives. Come into our world, we pray. Amen.